Three verses, John 1, 6 to 8, the title of my sermon, and I think you'll see why it's appropriate, is The Sending God. And here's the big idea. God graciously sends out messengers into the darkness so that those in the darkness might believe in the light. Every believer should hear that and say, Amen, I was born in the darkness, I was raised in the darkness, I am from the darkness, but God's grace, His grace came to me in my death, in my darkness, made me alive, and now I'm trusting in Jesus. Amen? I enjoy lawyer movies. Surely I'm not the only one. I really do. I could name several that I enjoy, even going back 60 years. I enjoy lawyer movies, movies that take place in a courthouse. And if it doesn't move beyond that, I'm fine. I enjoy hearing arguments and watching a jury make decisions based on the information they received, eyewitness testimony, expert opinions, and the presentation of forensic evidence. I enjoy that. Maybe you're like me. John the Baptist, which again, it's confusing. Because you have John, the apostle, who wrote this gospel, and then you have John, the Baptist. And so, to make it easier, I'm going to distinguish between the two by referring to John the Baptist sometimes as JB, just for short, just to be helpful, okay? So, John the Baptist is a witness. That's what he is. He is a witness called to the stand to present information about Christ, The reader, that's us, functioning as the jury, is then called to make a decision based on John's testimony. So the question is, what will you decide? As the the information is presented about Jesus, as John the Baptist gives his testimony, again, the question hanging in the air is, what will you decide? Remember, the purpose of this witness is so that all might Believe That is the purpose of the gospel. We talked about that two weeks ago. The, the purpose of John's gospel is so that we would believe. Faith. Now here, John introduces one of his major themes, that of witness. Again, we, we find ourselves in the prologue of John's gospel. And I mentioned the prologue is John 1, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. And as we learned last week, the prologue functions as an introduction to the book. It prepares the reader for what's to come. It includes themes and characters and sets the tone for the rest of the book. So we're going to see certain themes, specific themes, major characters in the prologue that are going to pervade, they're going to fill out the rest of John's gospel. So again, think of this as setting the tone for the rest of the book. Now, The main theme that we'll be looking at this morning is that of witness. Everybody say witness. Okay, witness. Can I get a witness? Not yet. As I mentioned two weeks ago, and this is just good review, John highlights numerous witnesses throughout his gospel to testify to the identity of Jesus. He highlights the Old Testament. And if you're going to take notes, you might want to write this down. These are some of the witnesses that John highlights in his gospel to bear witness, to give testimony about Jesus, so that we might what? So that we might believe. Good. So 
So he highlights the Old Testament, that's John 5, 39 to 40. The Father, the Father, John 5, 32. The Holy Spirit and the Apostles, that's John 15, 26 and 27. The crowds, even the crowds bear witness to Jesus. That's John 12, 17. A Samaritan woman. A Samaritan woman. That's John 4, 39. And especially, especially the miracles of Jesus. That's John 5, 36 and John 20, 30 and 31. All of this to show that Jesus truly is the long-awaited Savior King of promise. John wants us to see that there is good evidence, good reason to trust in Jesus on the basis of this myriad of witnesses. Now the focus of our passage this morning, again John 1, 6 to 8, three verses, is the witness of who? Whose witness is highlighted? JB, John the Baptist. What do we learn about John the Baptist's ministry and what does it mean for the church today? And those questions are going to be answered this morning. What do we learn about John the Baptist's ministry and what does that ministry mean for us today, 2,000 years later? Now, before we get into our points, I want to talk about the word witness. It's the Greek word marturia. It appears more in John's gospel, I think, than anywhere else in the New Testament. Okay? So what does this word mean, marturia? It's where we get our English word for marturia, martyr. And what's ironic and interesting is that John the Baptist was a martyr. He died for Jesus. Now, the Greek word for witness, again, marturia, we're going to see it a lot. We're going to see it a ton, especially in chapter 5. The Greek word for witness denotes confirmation or attestation on the basis of personal knowledge or belief. Testimony. It's testimony. It even refers to the act of testifying. Now, we're going to get to the explicit content of John's testimony, his witness, in about a few weeks, probably two or three weeks, and that's going to begin in John 1.15, but not yet. Before we get to that, again, I want to focus on the following questions this morning. Number one, what do we learn about John's ministry? And number two, what does that ministry mean for us today in the church? All right, so what do we learn about John the Baptist's ministry? Number one, here's point number one. John, again, JB, this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was sent by God. And maybe you're thinking, so what? He was sent by God. A lot of people were sent by God. Jesus was sent by God the Father. We'll talk about that here shortly. But John was sent by God. That's verse 6. So point 1 is based on verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, why is that significant? Why is that important? Why does that matter that he was sent by God? It's everything. It's everything. This speaks, this language sent by God speaks to the authority behind John's testimony. His message. Why should we listen to his message? Why should we pay attention to his testimony? Because he was sent by who? He was sent by God. Wasn't sent by Chris. Wasn't sent by his mom and dad. He was sent by God. Now Paul, the Apostle Paul, does something very similar in his letters. If you're familiar with Paul, he often begins his letters as Paul. An apostolos. An apostle. Of Christ Jesus. Now, why does that matter? Why does Paul do that? Why does he refer to himself 
At the get-go, at the outset of his letters, as Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Apostle, if you're taking notes, simply means sent one. Sent by whom? Who was Paul sent by? He was sent by Jesus. Whoa. That gives weight to Paul's writing because he was sent by who? He was sent by Christ. Paul brings to light the authority undergirding or supporting his ministry by using that particular title. And John, the apostle, is doing something similar in describing John the Baptist's ministry. Andreas Kostenberger notes, The phrase, sent from God, which is verse 6, is reminiscent of the Old Testament description of a prophet. A prophet was someone sent by who? Sent by God. And so Kostenberger is saying that language is reminiscent of the Old Testament description of a prophet whose role was to function as a spokesperson for who? Who did the prophet speak on behalf of? God. Who is John the Baptist speaking on behalf of? God, because he's sent by God. Now, oh, this is good. This is really good. This further establishes a theme that will appear again and again in John's gospel. A theme that teaches us something very important about God's character. If you get nothing else this morning, get this. It's the theme of God's sending. He's a sending God. He sins, not S-I-N, kick me out of here if I ever say that, but sins, S-E-N-D. He's ascending God. He sins out. God is revealed throughout Scripture, especially in John's Gospel, as a God who sins out. There's a great book, and if you have six months, you can attempt to read it. It's called The Mission of God by Old Testament scholar Christopher Wright. Christopher Wright. He argues that the dominant theme that courses from Genesis to Revelation is the mission of God, the God who sins. He sends out. Now, where else do we see this in John's gospel that God sends? Who does he send out? Well, hopefully, the first person that comes to mind, because we all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he, there's the word, he sends Let's just read that together. I want to read John 3, 16, but also verse 17. In 16, he, he gives, but in 17, he sins. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. That's giving. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So the father sends the son. And the church said, Amen. But that's not the only instance in John's gospel where God sins. John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. There's that word witness again. So, the Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. Now listen to John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Okay, so, the Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, and the Son sends His 
people. Hmm. What does this teach us about God's character? It's a massive theme in John's gospel. God sends three G's. You ready for them? Three G's. The fact that God sends. He sends the Son. sends the Spirit. He sends out his people to bear witness about him. He's gracious. He's generous. And he's good. He's gracious. He's generous. And he's good. Let me unpack these and how they relate to the act of God sending. He sends us gifts that we don't deserve, church. Do you realize that? Do we deserve the Son? Do we deserve the Spirit? Do we deserve the gift of God's body that comes alongside us and spurs us on? First off, we don't deserve God's Son. Can we agree with that? We don't deserve God's Son? The fact that Jesus was sent to die for sinners like you and me reveals that God is, what's the first G? He's gracious. He's gracious. Second, he sends an abundance of these undeserved gifts. What kind of God would do that? He doesn't just send the Son. He sends the Spirit and he sends his people to bear witness about the Son. He's generous. He's very generous. Amen? And then the last thing is this. His gifts are good. He doesn't give shoddy gifts. The word shoddy means less than. He doesn't give weak gifts or poor gifts or leftovers. He gives the best gifts. Amen? And because he gives good gifts, it reveals that he is what? He's good. He's good. He's gracious. He's generous. He's good. Number two. John, again, John the Baptist, was sent by God to do one thing, to preach Jesus. That's it. He was sent by God to preach Jesus. Verse 7a, so the first half of verse 7 in verse 8, support this point. He came, John the Baptist, came as a witness to bear witness about the, the light. And then move to verse 8. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The content, the content of John's message is the light, Jesus. Now, we've already discussed what this title, the light, means and where it comes from. But let me review. So it's an important title. It's one of the themes we talked about two weeks ago. He is the light. We saw that last week. We'll see it again and again and again. Jesus, as the light, is the full revelation of God. Whoa! He is the full revelation of God. He is the one promised in Isaiah 60. 1 to 3. Go back and read 59. And you're going to see the plight of humanity is that we're in the darkness. We're born in the darkness. We need light. And the light comes. And the light came. And who is the light that broke into the darkness? Christ. So he is the one promised. Jesus is the one promised in Isaiah 61 to 3. The beautiful glory of God that breaks into the darkness of a fallen world to bring what? To bring salvation. As the light, Jesus shows us the way. He exposes our sin as the light and illuminates our hearts and minds to the truth. Let's come back to the idea of witness. John also uses the verbal form of the word. So the the Greek word for witness is martyria. 
And the verbal form is martyreo, which I know you're all going to remember. It means to bear witness, but write this down if you want, because we're going to see this verb again and again. The verb, the Greek verb, to bear witness, it means literally to confirm something, to confirm something on the basis of personal knowledge or belief. To confirm something on the basis of personal knowledge or belief. John the Baptist knew, he knew his testimony to be true because, as we've already established, it came from who? It came from God. What he testified about, what he bore witness about, he knew to be true because he knew the source from which it came. According to verse 6, John was sent from God. According to John 1, 33-34, John received divine revelation, a mission and a message from God to testify to who? To bear witness about who? Jesus. Let's read John 1, 33 and 34. I'm not going to unpack all this because we're not there yet. John said, again, JB, for short, John the Baptist, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me, he who sent me. There it is again, he who sent me. Did you catch it? So again, let's just pause. He sent the Son, he sent the Spirit, he sends his people, he sent John. (laughs) What a gracious, generous and good God. All right, back to the verse. John says, JB, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and I've borne witness that this is the Son of God. But what was John's primary mission? His mission involved his message. His mission involved his message. He came to preach Jesus. He came to prepare people for the promised king. He came to bear witness about the light. That's mentioned twice in verse 7 and verse 8 for the point of emphasis. He came to bear witness about the light. He's not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. What did John come to do? came to bear witness about the light. Who's the light? Jesus. Now, it's interesting. It's interesting that John the Baptist's vocation, his role, is identical to that of the Holy Spirit. Now, follow me here. J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer has a great illustration I want to share. But let me pause for a second. What do I mean by that? That, that John's role and the Spirit's role are the same. I would argue that our role and the Spirit's role are the same. The Spirit's role, the Holy Spirit's role is to highlight the person and work of Jesus. That's the Spirit's role. The Holy Spirit's role is to highlight the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now let's go to Packer. Jay Packer. Jim Packer. (laughs) Packer compares the Holy Spirit to a floodlight in front of a house. Anybody have a, a floodlight in front of their house? Nobody. Thank you, brother. Michael. I'm like, who am I talking to? <laughs> Maybe they know what a floodlight is. The illustration's lost if you don't. The floodlight exists. Here it is. The floodlight exists not to draw attention to itself, but to illuminate the house. That's the job of the floodlight. 
In the same way, the Holy Spirit's primary work is to shine light on who? On Jesus. And glorify God the Father. Doesn't it make sense that believers are given the Holy Spirit for the same reason? Namely, to bear witness to Jesus. To highlight Jesus. To point others to Jesus. Preach Christ. Church, look at me. Preach Christ. Preach Christ. And do so with and from pure motives. I love verse 8. We need verse 8. It reads about John, J.B., he was not the light. He wasn't. People thought he might be, but he wasn't. John the Baptist, verse 8, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. John, John did not preach Christ for personal recognition or praise. He certainly didn't preach Christ because it would make for an easier life or gain him friends or accolades. No, no, no. John preached Christ because Christ is the light, the promised Savior King. He preached Christ because it was the Father's will, and the Father's will reigned supreme in John's life. Does the Father's will reign supreme in your life? John preached Christ because he was most concerned with God's glory and not his own. Amen? If you find yourself preaching Christ to others, and if you're a Christian, you should. You should be doing that. But why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? What are your motives, I wonder? Is it for personal recognition? Make sure if you're preaching Christ that your motives are pure, biblical, and Christ-centered. I love John 3.30. I want to live by John 3.30. Do you know what John 3.30 says? John the Baptist, this is what he says. He must increase, but I must decrease. Who's he talking about? Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. There's a warning here for the church, and especially for pastors. Gerald Boyet, it's a tough name to say, German. He's a New Testament scholar. He writes, this was helpful. He says this verse, this verse, verse 8. I'm not the light, right? John's not, he's not the light. John's not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Amen? Gerald, I say it like I know him, I don't know him. He writes, this verse has great continuing relevance for the church because, now listen, because, so he's saying, this verse, and we would say, amen, brother, all, all the Bible has continuing relevance for God's people, but he's highlighting this verse. This verse, has, this verse has great continuing relevance for the church because of the temptation for Christian leaders, he's talking about pastors here, to assume a status of being more than witnesses and to pretend to speak personally with the authority of the light. In such times, Christian leaders need to hear the warning that they are not the light, but are merely humble witnesses to the light. This is a great warning. Dave and I talked about this this week. This is a great warning for those considering ministry. Verse 8. Why? 
It's a warning to not preach the light for personal recognition, but to elevate the light. Now, don't mishear me here. I mean, love your pastors, submit to them, but see them as servants of Jesus, those tasked to bear witness to the light. Now, church members, we can err here too, right? Church members err when they fall into the temptation of elevating their pastors or celebrity pastors over Christ. We are not followers of John MacArthur, John Piper, John Owen, or John Calvin. And I love these brothers. I am indebted to them. We're followers of Jesus. Amen? Amen. We're followers of Jesus. My job, like John's job, is to bear witness to the light, Jesus Christ. Your job, know your privilege, is to follow the light, Jesus Christ. You know, Paul addresses this as well. This happened. It's not just today. This has always been a struggle for the church. Listen to Paul. 1 Corinthians 3, 4-6. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? He uses that in a negative way. <laughs> You're being worldly. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Christ is the light, and it's Christ we follow, and it's Christ we proclaim. Amen? Amen. And don't forget this. In order, now this is so important, in order to bear witness about the light, you've got to know the light. You've got to know the light. You must trust the light. You must know Jesus. You must trust in Jesus. Remember the verb to bear witness, martyreo. Remember what it means? Here's what it means. It means to confirm something on the basis of personal knowledge or belief. You can't bear witness to Christ if you don't know him and trust in him. You can't. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? There's no question more important than that. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you trusted in him? Last point, number three. John, John the Baptist. No, I'm sorry, second to last point. Maybe you got excited, sorry. John was sent by God to preach Jesus. Why? What was the goal? So that all might believe. John was sent by God to preach Jesus so that all might believe. Verse 7, the second half, okay? Second half of verse 7. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Here it is. That all might believe through him. He came to bear witness about the light, to preach the light, to preach Christ so that all might believe through him. Now, here we must make a distinction between purpose and result. John preached Christ so that all who heard him would believe in Christ. That was the purpose. I mean, if I'm preaching Christ and sharing the gospel, I'm preaching with the hope that those who hear will do what? Walk away angry and jaded? and No, that they might believe. John preached Christ so that all who heard him might believe in Christ. That was the purpose of his preaching. And as we'll see later, that is the purpose of our preaching. Don't we preach Christ so that others might believe? Of course. 
But that's not the result. That wasn't the result. Not everyone will believe. But we preach Christ with the hope and prayer that all will believe. The goal of John's message is so that all might believe. Now, what does it mean to believe? Now, don't miss this. The verb to believe, pistuo, is used. Are you ready? If you had to guess, how many times in John? Oh, brother, 25 times. I mean, that's a pretty good guess. 40 times. I mean, you're getting closer. Man, don't, don't you dare say 80 times. You crazy. 100 times. Over 100 times, the verb to believe is used in John's gospel. Is that significant? Massively, it's staggering. A hundred times? What does it mean to believe? Believe, to believe is more than simply affirming certain spiritual truths. As one brother writes, this is Kostenberger again, it refers to an active relational trust in Christ Jesus. An active relational trust in Christ Jesus. I want to quickly look ahead in John's gospel to help answer the question, what does it mean to believe? Are you ready? Let's just go a few verses. John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. So those are written in parallel. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who received him, The ones who received him are the ones who believed in him. To receive is to what? To receive is to believe. To receive is to believe. According to John 1.12, believing is receiving. Believing is receiving. Again, John 1.12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So according to John 1.12, believing is receiving. John Piper is helpful here. He is. He says, believing in Jesus is receiving him as all that he is. Believing in Jesus is receiving him as all that he is. The most valuable treasure in the world. Now, John 6.35 is further helpful here. It helps us to better grasp what is meant by faith. So let's go to John 6.35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, what? Shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Again, in parallel. This is much like Hebrew poetry. Like the Psalms, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So again, what word helps us to better understand believing? Coming. Coming to Jesus. To believe in Jesus is to come to him. To believe in Jesus is to come to him. We see the same language in Mark 8.34 in the context of discipleship. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The language of coming to Jesus denotes the reorientation of one's life around Christ. Faith is active allegiance to Jesus. It's coming to him and acknowledging him as Savior and Lord, as King. Again, think relational trust in Jesus. That is the goal of our preaching. Amen? We want people to have relational trust in Jesus, to come to him, to receive him in all that he is. That is the goal of our preaching, our witnessing to Christ. 
We wish to see others coming to Christ and trusting in him for life. The last question is this. What does John's ministry mean for the church today? Well, if you've believed in John's testimony, then his mission becomes your mission. Does that excite you? Does that scare you? If you've believed in John's testimony, his mission becomes your mission. Last point, and I promise this time. Number four, the church is sent by God to preach Jesus so that unbelievers might believe. The church is sent by God to preach Jesus so that unbelievers might believe. John 20, 21 and 22. We'll be here a long way from now, (laughs) Lord willing. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them. Oh, what a sweet verse. And said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. All of us are familiar with Matthew 28. 18 to 20, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all, all, not some, but all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We, the church, are sent by God. He's ascending God. He sends the Son. He sends The Spirit, he sent John, and he sends his people. Amen? He sends his people to preach Christ so that unbelievers might what? Believe. And what is belief? It's that relational trust in Jesus. We are commissioned. We are commissioned. And the content of our message is Jesus. It's Jesus. We preach Jesus, the light. The goal of our message is so that others might believe. We preach Jesus in the hope that unbelievers will believe. Our job is to point people to the light and to help them to see that the light is supreme. We must help people to see that the darkness is destructive, it's unsatisfying, it's deadly. And to remain in the darkness means eternal death, eternal wrath, eternal hell, eternal separation from God. We preach Christ to see those who are in darkness brought into the the light. Amen. This mission, John's mission, which is our mission, reveals to us something that is devastatingly true about humanity. What is that? What is that, you may ask? What does this reveal? What do verses... 6, 7, and 8 reveal about humanity. Humanity is in the darkness. Man, it, it, it bothers me when people say, oh man, such a good dude. He's lost. He's in the darkness. I love him and care, but he's not good. None of us are good. God is good. He's got a heart of gold. But he's lost. He's in the darkness. He's Jesus. Listen, A.W. Pink can get away with this. So I'm going to quote him. If I said this, you might might run out of here. I, I think this is appropriate and good. 
Listen to what Pink said. Man, when the sun is shining in all its beauty, which we've gotten used to for a long time now. I still think it's beautiful, by the way, but it hurts a little bit. When the sun is shining in all its beauty, who are the ones unconscious of the fact? Think about that question. When the sun is shining in all its beauty, who are the ones unconscious of the fact? Who need to be told it's shining? None of us right now need to be told it's shining. What's it better? It's burning, blistering, overwhelming. It's shining. We all know it. Who need to be told it's shining? The blind, Pink says, the blind. How tragic then when we read that God sent John to bear witness of the light. How pathetic, he says. How pathetic that there should be any need of this. How solemn the statement that men have to be told the light is now in their midst. What a revelation, he says, of man's fallen condition. What does this passage teach us about humanity? Humanity is in the darkness. Now listen, I've often said, Jesus is king, context is queens, you've heard that. Remember last week, what did we learn about Jesus last week? He's the what? All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. He's the creator. He's the creator. The truth, I'm in here, almost done. The true tragedy of our passage is augmented by reading our passage in context. What did we learn in John 1, 1 to 5? Jesus is the creator. The true tragedy, now don't miss this. The true tragedy of our passage is that Jesus made our senses. Why can we see? Because he made our eyes. Why can we hear? Because he made our ears. Why can we smell? Because he made our noses. Why can we taste? Amen. <laughs> Thankful for that. Because he made our taste buds. Do you agree with that? The Bible teaches that. Here's the tragedy. Here's the tragedy. The true tragedy of our text is that Jesus made our senses and yet we fail to see and savor his beauty because of our sin. We fail to see and savor his beauty because of our sin. We would rather cower in the darkness than bask in his great light. That's a tragedy. But... But the Father sent the Son. The light has come. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. If you're here today, praise God that he sends his people, he sends his church into the darkness, armed with the message of light, the gospel, the very message that God in his grace, in his power, uses to awaken dead sinners and bring us from darkness to light. It's the message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Praise God for the light. And who's the light par excellence? Who is the light of the world? Jesus, who came into the darkness to rescue us. He then sends us into the darkness armed with the message of light. Commit to taking the light into the darkness. Let me tell you a story, and then I'll pray. 
A friend of mine told me this story years ago, um, a pastor. He's now a pastor in San Antonio. He was talking about this little girl. Such a great story. She turned five. Samantha turns three next week on Saturday. What in the world? How did that happen? This little girl turned five, and her mom said, hey, baby, what do you want for your birthday? I'm going to give you $5. You're five. I'm going to take you to Walmart and let you pick it out, which can be dangerous. If I give Luke $5, we'll be at Walmart for two days. I've slept in Walmart. He just sees everything, and he doesn't know what to choose. It's so sweet. True story. The little girl is so excited. $5. $5 used to go a long way, not so much today. This is about 25 years ago. So she goes to Walmart, and she, she walks to the toy section and doesn't find anything. And the parents are probably like, what in the world? Nothing? And then she goes to the camping section. It's my daughter. And she sees one of those plastic blue flashlights. Batteries included. Yeah, baby. It's like a bonus, right? And that's what she wanted. She wanted a flashlight. So she takes it off the shelf. They walk to the front of the store, to the checkout line. Batteries are already in it, by the way. And they're about to pay, and she starts clicking the button up, and she says, Mommy, it's, it's broken. It's not working. She said, No, baby, it's working, but we need to be in the dark for you to see the light. And she said, Mommy, can we go find some darkness? That's so cute. Can we go find some dark so the light can be seen? Church, we're called to go into the darkness. We're called, I mean, that, that is our commission, to go and make disciples of all nations. We're called to go into a dark world armed with the message of light. We should say as believers, let's go find some darkness. And that's going to be your schools. That's your places of work. For many, that could be your home, your neighborhood. But we're armed with the message of light. So let's boldly go into the world, into the darkness, heralding the light, Jesus Christ. Proclaiming his name and what he did through his perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection to save sinners. Let's call those in the darkness to leave the darkness behind and to follow Jesus, and to come to him, and to trust in him for life. Amen? If you know someone that doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, you know what to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are ascending God. That, Father, you sent your Son. Jesus, you sent the Spirit. And that, Jesus, you send out your church to be a light, to herald the light, to preach the light. Help Kelties to be a church committed to the Great Commission, committed to preaching the good news, the light, preaching Jesus. Send us out into the darkness, into our schools, into our places of work, into our neighborhoods, armed with the message of light, armed with the gospel, the good news that Jesus lived the life that we cannot live. All of us, everyone has fallen short, and therefore everyone, all of us, deserve your wrath. But Jesus, not only did you live the perfect life that the Father demands, but you died in our place on the cross, taking the punishment we deserve. And then you rose again, proving that your saving work worked. And so I pray that we would boldly 
and joyfully take this message into the world, into the darkness, and call the lost to the light. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.